everyone. It's been great to be here this morning, and I think a lot of what we've already experienced, um, we're going to be speaking about in the sermon, but you've already lived it. The Lord's already spoke it. Um, So you get to hear it twice this morning, which is great. I'm Janet. I'm a pastor on staff, and I have the privilege this morning of sharing this sermon with Alexander King. He is our intern. He's one of our interns here, summer internship. And um, what you need to know about Alex is that he has had a call on his life since the age of seven um, to go into pastoral ministry specifically. And he's held on to that. I think that's what is so incredibly unique about Alex is that even he was invited to this church to come and um, be one of the student ministry interns. And he said, no, you know, what I'm called to is pastoral ministry. I know that that's where I'm headed, and I want to see behind the curtain. I want to experience that. Can you make one of those for me? And so we did. And so we have Alexander here with us this morning. So let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. And I just have to say, it has been a journey for us to do this together. It's been so much fun. I have loved getting to know you. He's a friend now, even though he could be my son. Um, Anyway, I'm so happy he's here. So we're going to read the psalm together. It's Psalm 122. It's going to be on the screen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. As was decreed for all of Israel, as is, was decreed for Israel, is decreed for us to come to worship together. There, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, Jones for, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So this psalm, initially, when I found out I was going to be speaking on it with Alexander, I had a hard time connecting with it. And I think initially it was because I haven't been to Israel, I've never been to Jerusalem, I'm not walking through the desert somewhere. And also this first phrase where it says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because I was thinking of myself on a Sunday morning, I'm not always glad. I have to be really honest with you. And I recognize that when I feel that way, it's because I've forgotten what we just experienced together. What we just experienced together in worship, where the Lord Jesus meets us together in this place. We, as people, we forget that that's what's going to happen when we gather together in worship. So I asked the Lord, I'm like, okay, I need something to help me connect into this. And he helped me by giving me a memory of when we went to Malawi two years ago as a team. And um, a new team has just come back from there. Well, when we were setting out, it was the very first time I had ever, with my husband, the the two of us, we had never led a trip to Africa. Never. I mean, how many of you would go overseas with somebody who's never led a trip there? You know, I knew that. (laughs) Inside, you know, I knew that. I had that sense. So there was nervousness, nervousness within me. I'm not a very detailed person. There's a lot of details that goes along with this. Besides that, there was a lot going on in my personal life, right? Just like all of us on a journey, we're all headed somewhere. 
There's a lot going on in our lives. It was true for our entire team. They came as people together, and they had a lot going on. And they weren't always glad. We were not always glad that we were going to Africa. But once we arrived there, uh, there's a picture um, I have. Once we saw that beautiful country out the window of our plane, after 32 hours on the plane, after sleeping in airports, after a lot of missteps, including having to repack at the airport because I missed a detail, yay for me, um, we had this sense of arrival. We got to Malawi. There was a sense of arrival, and I realized the whole way along what had kept us going was the expectation that we as a group, as a people, were going to experience God and his power in that country, on the ground, in, in Malawi, in our lives, in the people that we met, in the children that we were able to minister to. And so that is really that sense of expectation that the psalmist had. He knew. He had his eyes on the prize, on the destination, and he was leading his people there. When we get there, when we get to Jerusalem, we are going to be in the presence of the living God together, and he's going to do mighty and miraculous things. Um, On our trip, we had somebody, her name's Susie Hughes, some of you know her, and she really was our psalmist. There's a psalmist who wrote this. They have that vision, right? They know where they're going, and they're keeping the people headed that direction. And she just did it by her countenance. She had a very strong faith and a belief. And she did it in a um, very winsome way, too. Lots of joking and laughter and encouragement. But then when we landed in Africa, it was actually rained a lot when we were in Africa. And that was kind of bumming us out a little bit because we didn't expect rain. But I remember it raining and us sitting in a van and her beginning to sing this song. And this song is the song that bound us together as a team. And you're going to hear it and you can sing along if you want as we watch these um, few slides from the trip. So you can go ahead with that. me think of how the psalmist would have felt. They heard a song and they knew what was going to happen when they get there. When I hear that song, I have a sense of expectancy. I want to go back to Africa. And when I go, I'm going to lead from that place um, of being expectant that we're going to see God move. This psalm that we're in is specifically about corporate worship. We can all, we talk about worship in this church being about everything we do, right? But there's something powerful in us coming together as a people where we hear what God wants us to hear together. And we, we um, encourage one another and we pray and we worship and we experience his power and his peace and his love in a way that we do not do when we're individual, as there as individuals. It's our response to God. Worship is our response to God for all that he has done and a choice that we make each and every day. Um, David says this in verse 1 again. I'll read it again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I'm wondering for you this morning, were you glad when you got up? Were you glad to go to the house of the Lord? Or were you planning on just coming to church? 
Were you coming here to meet Jesus? Because I hope after being here for a little while, you realize I'm here to meet Jesus. This is what it's about. I encourage, I'm just grateful that you're here. And if you're somebody who dragged yourself to worship this morning, because maybe this week, because it was such a difficult week in our country, right? There was a lot that happened this week. And I know I talked to one person this morning, they felt very somber walking in. There was some violence and discord in our country that has rocked all of us. And maybe that meant for you, you needed to come here this morning so you could be reminded once again for how much God loves you, that he is on the throne, that he is able to bring reconciliation and peace to you in your life and also to this world. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. We're going to hear a little bit more from Alex as he talks to us about the pilgrims going to Jerusalem and a little bit more about what that meant. Hi, guys. So as I was looking into this passage, I started to question, what were the pilgrims experiencing? What was their heart as they're going into this? And so I want us to do a little bit of an imagination exercise and to kind of put ourselves in their shoes. So for a moment with me, imagine... You are an Israelite, and you're about to embark on this journey to go to Jerusalem. You've packed everything you need for the four-day long journey. Your kids are ready to go, and you begin. The sun's hot. It's beating down. You've been walking for hours now. You're really sweaty. The kids are kind of yelling back and forth, and you kind of lose heart a little bit. You're wondering, oh, why am I doing this again? But then you remember your destination Your destination is what keeps you going. Jerusalem, the holy city of God. You can hardly put words to what it is and what it means to go to this place. And so you begin to sing songs. The same songs that your parents sing with you and their parents, and even David before you sang as he went on this pilgrimage. And that lets you have these words that express the joy, the excitement, and the anticipation that you feel as you journey towards Jerusalem. Because you know that when you get there, God himself will meet you. I think if we look at this passage again from the perspective of a pilgrim, it will help us to understand what it means to us. Um, Look again at verses 3 through 4. It says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So Jerusalem is bound firmly together. This is meant to invoke an idea of unity, because this pilgrimage was for unity, and Jerusalem was a place of unification. Now, if your family is anything like mine, every time we go on a journey, there is, there's no unity at all. <laughs> the, the hour before is that worst time where we're getting ready and we, we're pretty much ready, but there's lots of bickering, there's arguing, and I just want to go, but we're not going. And it's tough. There's a lot of tension that happens in the journey. But the Israelites knew that this journey was not a time for petty bickering or tribal conflicts. It was time for worshiping and encountering the living God. They journeyed to Jerusalem as one. Every family, every tribe came together, not as their separate sects, but as one people of God coming together. Not to one tribe city, but to God's city. This pilgrimage unified them. 
In this place of worship, there are no tribal boundaries, only one people of God, unified for the purposes of worshiping him. When I first got to college two years ago, I decided I would begin looking for a church. I wanted to find the right place. And so I decided to do a little detective work. I wanted to go to different churches and really feel the heart of the church, beyond the style of worship and things like that. I wanted to feel the heart. And so I looked and I looked, and eventually I found this place that felt, felt right. It had great community and great preaching, and so I stayed there. Um, went week after week, but after three months, I realized something. I realized that the people there seemed more excited for the service to end than they were for it to begin. And I realized that they even showed up like halfway through the service. There seemed to be no, no heart. I, I wondered in, in their worship, what was their motivation? And in that, I also wondered, what was my motivation? And that's when I understood what it was I was searching for. I wanted a church that was a family reunion on Sunday where people came together to worship and encounter the King of Kings. And I found that at a small church in Linfield, Massachusetts. The people there were alive. They had a vibrant faith and a newfound reverence in their worship I'd never experienced before. They raised their hands, they clapped when it didn't make sense, and they stomped their feet sometimes. But more than emotionalism, it was worshiping God from a place of spirit and truth. They didn't care if the person to the left or right of them thought they looked foolish as they fell to their knees and worshipped God. And I'm not saying there's one way to worship him and that you have to do that. But I'm saying if you feel God calling you to fall on your knees, then do that. Because we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. We need to come to this place with expectation. So question, do we come to this place of worship with any kind of expectation? What is our motivation in coming here? Do we come for the community, the coffee, the culture, something else? Or do we come expecting God to move and change hearts? In the third chapter of Zephaniah, as he's prophesying about the restoration of Israel, he has this remarkable passage that I think is also true for us. He says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. When we are in the presence of God, he sings over us. Just like with the Israelites, in corporate worship, we are invited to encounter the living God. Does that excite you? Does that stir your heart? This place is not some sanctuary or temple of empty religion. It is a place for God's church to come together as one and experience and encounter Him. You know, two Mondays ago during worship dinner uh, or during intern dinner in worship, as we began the worship time, I realized that I simply wasn't feeling it. Here I was preparing a sermon on expectation and worship, and I didn't want to worship. I don't know if you've ever felt that too. In the past, I've often thought that it would be inauthentic or dishonest to worship when there wasn't this joy pouring out of me and need to glorify him. 
I thought that God would rather have someone else's worship, someone who's on fire for him, rather than mine. But I've come to this realization, I hope you will too, that it is necessary for us to worship regardless of how we feel. That it is necessary for us to worship regardless of how we feel. My generation tends to have this idea that feelings come first and our actions are a derivative of that. But the reality is we must act first from what we know and then our feelings will come second. C.S. Lewis has this amazing discourse on love and mere Christianity. He holds up the feeling of love and love itself. The feeling of love is this a wind, a vapor that comes and goes. But love is a number of decisions and actions that lead to a reality. So, and that's not dishonest to say love someone. If, if you want to love someone but you don't, you need to act in love towards them. So Jesus calls us to love our enemies. You don't automatically love them. You need to act in love towards them and eventually you'll find that you do love them. The same thing works with worship. Even if you do not feel that you need to worship God, you don't feel that you should, you should. We need to worship the Lord. So keep acting in that way, and the feelings may come later. But what is important is that you know He deserves our worship. So let's worship Him. And I know some of you today don't feel like worshiping God. I get that. That's been me so many times in the past. I want to say thank you for coming anyway. Because just being here today is an offering to him and a sign that you know and you want to glorify his name. Thank you. Um, what Alexander said at the end is so true. Uh, just being able to minister in this place and know many of you walk in here and sit down and from the outside it looks like your life is falling apart. But you choose to come and you choose to sit here and you choose to believe that you're going to meet with God's people and that the living God, Jesus Christ, is going to meet you in your pain and your suffering and you're going to be changed because of it. Um, it made me think of... Isaiah 40:31, and we're going to change the end of this sermon, so I'm just going to do Isaiah 40:31, and then we're going to do some praying together. Um, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's what we're here for today, to put our hope corporately in the Lord. And the promise is we will renew our strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I know there's some people in this room who are flying on wings like eagles. You have had prayers answered that maybe you've been praying forever. And we want to celebrate that with you today. We don't do enough of that, I don't think. I would love to see those on the prayer cards that we as a church can celebrate when God answers prayer because that's what he does. Um, some of you are on like Highway 5. It's, it's, it's running and not growing weary. I find myself in this place right now. It reminds me of coming from Washington State to California and back. You're just going straight forward. You're putting one foot in front of the other. You're being obedient. You're being cons- consistent. And you're waiting on him. And you may find yourself in that place this morning. And you're here to worship him. And then I think of us, many of us, And also of our country, really. A 
lot of people are walking, and if they don't know the Lord, they're actually fainting. Some of us are walking and not fainting, but we're sad today because of everything that has happened, all the violence, all the racial tension. And so what we wanted to do, we know one reason that God has brought us together as a people this morning is to pray together, to, to not just feel things, as Alexander was saying, but to act. We're going to act in prayer together on behalf of our country. And I, I want you to, before we do this, I want you to hear what I'm, don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Um, in, the, in a couple other gatherings, there were some comments. I think our hearing's a little bit skewed right now. You can be both against rach, racial tension and um, all of that and four police officers at the same time. Would you say that's true? You can do that. But somehow this um, division is even coming into the church. And I think of um, the end of this scripture, it it says this, uh, uh, the psalm that we're in. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So if you can think of Jerusalem as the church, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of the church. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. This is to be a place of peace for all people. All people, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That is what we want the church to be, but we're seeing division creep in, and we want to come against that. We want to pray right now. I'm going to give us a moment of silence, and, um, and then you can just pray out for our country. You can pray for yourself. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that you're realizing there is some hate in your heart right now. There's some, some struggle um, with race. Maybe you're just grieving over the loss of innocent life. Um, maybe you don't know how. How are we going to come out of this as a country? Maybe you don't know. But what we said earlier over here, we were praying for everybody, and we just acknowledged is nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely nothing. So the church is going to rise up, and we're going to pray. So I'll open us, and then when it's silent, it gets a little bit silent, I'm going to pray a specific prayer um, for us as a church, and that's how we'll close. So, Father, um, as your church, as your people who have chosen to come and worship you no matter how we feel, because we know you are good, and that your love endures forever. As your church, as your people, as your bride, as the one that you have um, betrothed yourself to, we come to you. And we lift up our hearts to you on behalf of our nation, Lord. On behalf of the people who are suffering right now because they have lost someone very dear to them that they love through senseless violence. Lord, we come before you. Um, and, it, and confess to you our racism and our, our hatred and our inability to see things the way you do. Lord, lead your church, Lord, as a people, to pray about this in your name, Jesus. Lord, as your church, we come to you for mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We pray for the families of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and all people of color whose lives have been cut short by violence. We pray that racist systems in our country, city, and lives and hearts may be dismantled. Lord, have mercy. We pray for the families of the police officers shot and killed in Dallas and all others who are on the ground now. 
Lord, we pray for um, comfort and peace for the families of all who have lost someone dear to them this week. We ask for your protection for our police officers, and we pray for them, God, that you would show them how to do their jobs um, in accordance with your will for the good of all, for the good of the people. We pray for healing for those who remain in critical condition. Christ, have mercy. We pray for an end to our nation's addiction to violence and its never-ending cycle of death. We pray for vision and courage to act against violence of every kind. And Lord, we ask that you would raise up leaders in the church that could hold this banner. We pray for peace, the blessed peace that comes from making justice to cover and embrace us. Lord, we are pleading to you and we love you and we thank you, God, for your mercy. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.